We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events. We're always writing articles. But when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy, soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman. Everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store. None of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattresses is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner, promo code T H E C O R N E R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Another week, another episode of the Corner Podcast. Once again, I'm here, Kel Dansby, with Old Man Andres Hill in the building. Uh, we're just a few minutes removed of him trying to put me on blast on Twitter. I, in the middle of the night, decided I was just going to have an honest moment and say, you know what? The Takashi 6 9 kid isn't that bad. Like, his music is ignorant and uh, lickety stickity blickety, whatever he says. Uh, but it has a place. And the beats are dope. And I may or may not play it in the comfort of my own home. When I'm enjoying a drink and, you know, privately turning up, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. When I go out to the club on a strip, hopefully they're playing it. I can stand on some furniture. Every now and then you got to listen to ratchet music. 
And Dre, I know you listen to Ratchet music. Not that shit. I'm sorry. Not a troll. <laughs> that, that kid's a troll, man. His music ain't good. I'm sorry. We're going to have to cancel the podcast. So everybody <laughs> listening, today is the last show, the time you're going to hear this shit, because he likes Takashi. With the blicky, yeah. Yeah, that kid is hilarious. Oh, man. I don't know. And the music videos, for some reason, just take it to another level. I can't listen to it, like, necessarily on my iPhone. But I can watch the videos because they add so much to it. And people do wild-ass dances. They got the whole hood up out in New York. Man, it's funny. I don't. I know there's some some really bad music you listen to. I haven't found it yet. But I know something out there you enjoy where people are like, what? No. And we're going to find it. Some, Good luck. Some, somewhere out there, you've given four and a half stars in the source to some shit that was utterly trash. But you're like, you know what? Secretly to me, this is fire. You had to write it up. I'll nah. go through your catalog. Yeah, go for it. We're going to find that. Um, let's kick off the show talking about hip hop, though. And not Takashi. 6ix9ine. Uh, we have Beyonce and Jay-Z's album dropping. It clips the Nas album that we're going to talk about in a second. But it was the biggest thing of last weekend musically. Um, surprise album. They were on tour, so we shouldn't be that surprised. I, I want to call it a duet album, right? It's just a co-album. This is, I guess, marriage goals to some people. Get on, get on wax and just, you know, kill it together. Beyonce's rhyming at certain points. I'm going to say off rip that I didn't really enjoy the album. It's not the type of Jay-Z I want. Um, I, I didn't need this album. I, I would have been perfectly fine with just two solo albums from them. But once again, the Beehive gets behind it. People say they love it. Guys really didn't say much about it that I saw. They were like, it's cool. Where do you stand on the album? Um, first of all, let me be clear. Uh, Thursday night, I flew to... Uh, Napa, my wife surprised me with a trip to Napa and uh, for Father's Day. So And I unplugged from the internet. So I didn't know what the fuck was going on. And I logged back in and all kinds of hell broke loose. Between, I mean, I did the, the Nas review right before I got on the plane. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, the unfortunate uh, death of XXXTentacion. We'll talk about his death. Which is, is that really how cool. you pronounce that? I've been tr- Man, I've been trying to figure it out. Like... <laughs> I've, I've been going with a very prim and proper tentacion. Is it XXX tentacion? I, I feel like that's just the Spanish in me, though. I don't know. Probably. Um, but between that and then the Carter's album, it's just been, it's just been chaos. And uh, so that being said, um, my, one of the editors of Billboard asked me to do a five things about it. And I was like, nope, I'm on vacation drinking wine. And uh, <laughs> so, so, I got gro- so grown up with it. Yeah, man, I was, I'm in Napa. Like, man, I was not trying to do any... Like, I went to a Sean Don and Champagne bar, which was amazing. Um, yeah, and I was I just wasn't trying to be bothered with it. I text and, you at uh, 9 o'clock one day, and you're like, all right, man, I'm about to go drink. I was like, it's 9 a.m. Yeah, man, I went to one every day. Every day, my poor daughter, like, she was like, what the fuck, daddy? Like, she had to be. She's, she's what's she, 20 months now? She's just like, every day? Really? Yes, every day. <laughs> But um, this this Jay Z, you know, it's funny because I kind of agree with you. Like I heard this album and I was like, all right, I see what everybody's so hype about. It, the concept is more hype than the album itself. The album's not bad, 
Um, it felt like more of a Beyonce showcase than a Jay-Z showcase. Like, Jay-Z was just kind of there to chip in some bars here and there. And the, the, I think uh, there are a few songs that are actually pretty dope, but I, it was like people like, instant classic and blah, blah, blah. Oh, and I was God. like, I was like, it's cool. Like, but it was more like a Beyonce traversing the hip-hop landscape album than it was Jay-Z doing anything but kind of helping out Beyonce, in my mind. That's, that's kind of what I heard. Um, the production is rich. And I mean that not in like the rich as in lush. I mean that in rich as in expensive. It sounds like an expensive album. It sounds like <laughs> the Ape Shit video was shot in the Louvre in Paris, which is not some shit you could do. And somebody was like, yo, the uh, the Ape Shit video is better than This Is America. You're I saw fucking... that shit. I was like, And you know what? Here. And I think it was my homie B-Dot from uh, Rap Radar. And <laughs> there was a podcast with Elliot. I think it was B-Dot that said it. I'm sorry. No. Um, it's expensive. They did it at the Louvre. It looks cool. To shut down the Louvre, it's really expensive. That's great, but this is America's just a much more artistic vision. So, and that's just high expensive art. Like, you just paid a bunch of money to be at the Louvre. Um, but yeah, the album was cool. Like, the album was just something that I was like, yo, I need to listen to this like 10 times. It didn't, nothing this weekend, we'll talk about Nas's album too. None of this stuff was just like, man, this is like stuff I gotta go back and listen to again. It was like, all right, I'm done with it. Now let's move on. Yeah, it lacked direction for me. Like, I, I thought if they had to do a joint album, it should have been the mesh between their two last albums. Like, you really got to put some shit out there. Like, you, you explained Jay-Z's fuck up. Beyonce explained I can be single and do my own shit, but I'm taking them back anyway. And then this should have been the mesh of this is what happened. This is why we got back together. This is how you move forward in song form and i feel like this is now what they're providing people right they're like a marriage counseling couple at this point like this is why people listen and champion them now um so i i just felt like it had nothing it was it sounded like a bunch of dj khaled songs like where each song was just thrown on there it was just every song was thrown on there just for shits and giggles like beyonce rhyming there's like what three trap beats Three, I mean, they're four, rich. Like, Migos the, style beats, like it, it just made no sense. It's not necessarily either one of their styles. It has like no purpose or theme to me. It was like, yo, we got to be together on this tour. Let's just give people a couple tracks and make some money and just drum up interest for this shit. Like it, it didn't do anything. It had, it had no, no direction for me. Like there's no reason for me to listen to. It. This is funny from a guy who just talked about Takashi sixty nine. You're complaining about an album not having direction because um, because I go into that recognizing that I'm listening to whack shit. Like I I, I want to go in and listen to ratchet stupidness with the blickia. I want to li- hear that when I go there and I understand what I'm going to hear. I don't want that from Jay Z. Like do you? Under- I I turned on the album and the first track sounded like a Migos track. It was a Migos track. It's a, oh. it's a Migos reference track. I mean, that's well, well, the there you go. Okay, yeah. well, well, there you go. And I'm just like, I what? What did I sign up for? Now, if I did that, listening and going in thinking it was a Migos album, I might have had a difference of opinion. But this is not what I expect or necessarily want from that artist. That's like me throwing on a Lupe track and not, you know, and expecting to get crazy triple entendres and and some shit. I got to pull out the thesaurus and the, you know, the almanac for. And going in and hearing him spit a verse like, you know, one of these young rappers, like Lil Yachty. Like, that's not what the hell I'm there for. So I'm not going to like it. Like, it's just, it wasn't what I opened the link for. I don't want that from them. 
And I'm not the huge. See, I, I'm not the biggest Beyonce fan. Let's just put that on the table. Um, she's wildly talented. She's amazing. Her fan base has soured her towards me. I'm not a fan of the Beehive. We talked about that on this podcast before. They came from my head a little bit. I had to lay low. So I'm gonna just leave it at that. But you know, this album, I was just like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll pass. I mean, the thing is, is this album isn't for you. It's not even necessarily for me. Like I'm a Jay Z fan. I always has been a Jay Z fan. But this is for. This is really for the Beyonce fans. And, you know, people who really enjoy Beyonce will really enjoy this album. People who really enjoy Jay-Z, I don't feel like really enjoy this album. They're just like, I, it's weird because it's like Beyonce kind of gets in the way of what you want to hear more out of Jay-Z. So it's like you have this marriage with these two couples. It's not going to be about anything. It's, I think it's a little bit too much work for them to really, you know, try to mesh the Lemonade album and the 444 album and, and come out with this Everything is Love. They're just celebrating that they've come through all of this the, the recent turmoil and they're still richer than you. And that's really <laughs> the, the, the concept of the entire album. Like the Ape Shit video is basically saying, look, I am richer than you. The timing of this album coming out, I know they'll say it's a coincidence. It's not. It's around the tail end of all this good music Kanye stuff. There's a reason why this album came out when it did. So it's really to bury everything in its path. And, and that's what it's really all about. It's a Beyonce showcase. Dude, I'm not the biggest Beyonce fan. I don't buy her albums. I appreciate her hustle. I appreciate her ability. Like, she could sing. But she's not somebody I'll bump on the regular. Is the wife a Beyonce fan? Is she part of the hive? Oh, no. Like, like, yo, people probably come for her. She's not a fan (laughs) at all. Her, like, her thing is more so than mine is that she, she feels like Beyonce was a vanilla figure for so long and then got black when it was cool to be black. Like she, it was like okay. Ooh, the door's that's a open, fair point. Yeah, it is a very fair point. Fair it's, point. it's something that I totally agree with. Now I appreciate that she's gone that route, but she didn't have a voice for much of her career. She was a Pepsi, Coca Cola type of singer, commercial music, and then it was like, all right, now I'm going to be more like her getting with Jay Z, and I'm not in the interior of their marriage, but it just felt like Jay Z put her up on game, which may or may not be true. But that's what it's always felt like, and that's been her biggest complaint. Like she's a good singer. she's a very good, she's a very very good singer. Um, but yeah, her material extremely good never, performer. I've been, I mean, I've been yes. her concert before. It's incredible. Yeah, she's a she's a she, she has come a long way because she couldn't even dance when she first got on the scene. Now she's like her performance is probably the best of this generation. I've heard people compare it to Michael Jackson. Y'all need to fucking stop. <laughs> Everyone gets compared to Mike. I see. You I, wish, I wish I could have saw Mike performance live, and even not experiencing it live, I wouldn't fix my mouth to say that because that shit just—you can watch videos, and it's a spectacle. And and this was like the '90s, like uh, you know, the late the '80s and the '90s. This is when Mike was at his peak. Beyonce's big, but there's nothing that'll be bigger than Michael Jackson. At any rate, this album was good. It's you know, there's a few songs I like, like Boss. I thought the production was dope. Black Effect was dope. Um, Nice. The Pharrell joint was cool as well. I think Jay's rhyme was real dope on there as well. But overall, it's it's not an album for me. I'm not mad at it. I can see this thing getting nominated for Grammy, and I wouldn't be surprised. And it is what it is, and we can move on. Yeah, it should be nominated for a hip-hop Grammy, then, because the show is a hip-hop album. Um, it could be a nominated for album of the year. You it never it was Beyonce's hip-hop album. That's really what it was. Possibly. Um, yeah. That being said, it's still better than the Nas album. Man, let's talk about. It. <laughs> and let's, that's uh, oh man, I had high hopes, but I, it's not a good mesh. It's not a good pairing. Like him and Kanye, I'm, they tried. I, I don't like the mesh. I'm not gonna say that because I think 
10 years ago, it would have been a great match. Seven years ago, would have been a great match. Kanye right now and Nas right now, terrible match. Reason being, more than anything else, it feels like this album was rushed. It feels like the Nas is like, I mean, the Jay-Z was, I mean, Jay-Z. Kanye was like, listen, Nas, I got some beats for you, but you got to write all your rhymes in like three days. Because yeah. I got to hurry up and get to That's what it felt like. Like, I'm going to fly you to Montana. You got six days. Let's go. Yeah, like it felt like there was really no, no like synergy between these two. Obviously, the ideologies are completely different as evidenced on the album. Like songs like Cops, you're like, wait, Kanye has a verse on Cops? I mean, not to say you can't talk about police brutality. It just felt weird. Um, But like songs like Bonjour, which is my favorite song on the project, the production is excellent. However, Nas ain't talking about shit. And it feels like that he just got the beat and was like, you got, you, you're about to meet this deadline. You got to get this deadline, which is crazy because the album came out like a fucking day later than the deadline. But it just felt like it was undercooked. If there was any terms I could put, put on it, it felt like it was microwaved. It felt like it was real quick. Let's get it done. Let's get it out there. Seven songs that people going to appreciate it. Not for Nas. Nas don't work like that. Six years, we need a body of work. This isn't what we were supposed to get from Nas. And it'll be forgotten about just like Streets Disciple, just like the Untitled album, just like Hip Hop is Dead. It's another Nas album that falls into this abyss of Nas albums that everybody says when it comes out, this is his best album since his last album. And then people forget about it. Mm-hmm. There's Stillmatic, Illmatic, It Was Written. You could put God's Son in the category and Life is Good. Everything else in between was not as good. Are you saying- thought it was great. Are you saying what? that's one hot album every 10-year average? It comes close, man. <laughs> like, if you really... Like, Distant Relatives was dope as well, but it, Distant Relatives never was an album I went back and revisited. Nas doesn't... It's weird. Nas is one of those artists that lately... Not even lately. Since probably Stillmatic. And even Life is Good in between there, but... And the Purple Tape. Um, I mean, the uh, the remix, uh, the Lost Tapes album. Other than that, there's not a lot of replay value with, these, with Nas projects. He, there's a lot of filler. And it's weird because you think something more concise, like Illmatic was super concise, would yield a better Nas, but it didn't. So I don't want to say the match was a, a bad match overall, but at this current time between these two artists, it shouldn't happen. Yeah, I think you put it right when you said he wasn't saying anything on the tracks. Like, to me, and, you know, it was highlighted in some of the beefs he's had and all that stuff, and I didn't take it as a knock then. But it's just the truth. Nas is best when depicting something going on around him and putting that into song. Not He doesn't, like, Illmatic, he didn't have to experience half that shit. But he painted the picture of what it was like in Queensbridge in the day, sitting on the bench, watching kids do this. You know, someone's running through the projects with the Mac 10. Like, he, he paints this picture. His boy's in jail, all this shit. And then, you know, it was written, it was cool, a couple of those tracks... And then you go on, it was time, he ran out shit to talk about. His mom passed, sadly, took that time off, came back, gets Stillmatic. And then, you you know, you fast forward, you're like, okay, Nas is giving us some bullshit, blah, blah, blah. The Khalees divorce happens, his life is spiraling, he gives us another good album. You know, like, it, shit has to happen around him. He has to have other circumstances to really put that pen to use at his highest levels. And I just think he had nothing to talk about. Not at all. And uh, I'm sorry. There was an album that was great this week. It was fucking J-Rock's Redemption Hour. Oh, I've heard nothing but great shit about that. Man, listen. And I haven't look. even listened to it yet because I, I need to have, like, time, like, real time to sit down and listen to it. I've heard nothing but great things. Dude, okay. So back three years ago, I went and I produced a commercial for Reebok, Kendrick Lamar, and J-Rock and Glasses Malone for the uh, 
Kendrick's Reebok sneakers. And I was with J-Rock, and the commercials with J-Rock and Glasses talking about, you know, Bloods and Crips. Um, it's on YouTube if you want, if anybody want to look for it. But um, I, so J-Rock was like, I'm working on my album, and I want to play you some songs. So I got in J-Rock's car. This is before the motorcycle accident. And uh, I got in J-Rock's car, and he played me a few songs, and they were very personal songs. And I was like, dog, if you go this route with your album, this is going to be great. Now, this is like three years ago. And it, I can't for the life of me even remember if these songs actually made the album or not. But this album, it felt like a continuation of what he was telling me he was going to do. It's very personal. It's very deep. And it's, it's J-Rock just, it's weird because he's the oldest one out of the crew, but he's maturing. And, it, dude, I mean, the production, this, this by far, to me, was the best album of the weekend. Um, and probably the best album of the month. And I know a lot of people are going to say Pusha, but this J-Rock album is a real complete body of work. It's dope. I, everyone, everyone that's been talking about it has loved the album. Like, people who aren't even J-Rock fans necessarily. Like, you never hear them talk about J-Rock, and they're like, yo, this is really good. It so, is, man. It is. It's yeah, a really good album. This weekend, me and that album, well, you know, I'm sitting down, throwing it in the headphones. Uh, for Father's Day, the kids and Elena got me a new sound bar and, like, uh, the little bass joint and everything, like, a little home theater for the living room, so I might just throw it up on my TV. Or it's Bluetooth, actually. I think I just stream my phone through that shit and listen to it, like, dumb loud and make my neighbors upset this weekend. So, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to sit down with that. Now to transition, we got to talk about, you know, a sad state in hip-hop. XXX, Tentacion. Listen, I'm trying not to butcher the man's name. Rest in peace. So, let's just say X. X uh, was shot and killed in Miami in his Lamborghini. It looks like a theft. The guy was arrested today. I saw the AP story come out. I think TMZ had it too. Um, someone's arrested in connection to that. It seems like they stole like a Louis Vuitton book bag from the car. I, it's just... One, it's sad to see someone that young lose their life under any circumstances. Um, it's never good. The kid's obviously dri driving a Lambo. He's shopping for a motorcycle. Like He, he was living his best life at the time. Now, that's that's sad. That's not to say that you can't also recognize the shitty things he did as a person before leaving this earth. People said he was changing. Big ups to him. Like sometimes it, it's always great to change, no matter how late. Um but, you know, he did some really bad shit. You can read that all about that on the internet. So that it's not excusing that. But anyone to go out like this is always sad, like gun violence, you know, stupid gun violence, sitting at a light. You know, they, sometimes you're like, yo, you just got to get out of the hood, but sometimes the hood follows you. So it, it was sad to see, and uh, man, that was shitty. But what was worse was social media's reaction to it. And so many different voices, and they were all over the place, and a lot of it just wasn't good. Yeah, see, now, like, I was glad that I was completely unplugged, because that... Murder on social media, people dying on social media. And this is also, uh, you know, you can also kind of liken these conversations to what's happening with kids getting separated from their uh, parents at the border. Um, and the insensitivity from the comment section about how people are computing death now on the Internet. You know, this kid got shot and killed. What he did beforehand doesn't yield death. Like, he doesn't deserve to die. And they were like, I know people took pictures and was posting, like, posting on the unedited pictures of him, like, 
where's the blood? Conspiracy theories abound. Um, he deserved it because he beat his ex-girlfriend. Like, dog, listen, yeah, man. Drake had him killed. Like, the dumbest he, shit. Like, listen, listen. Like, the thing is, is, like, more, not not more importantly, like, this this young man lost his life. But the thing that also comes along with it is the people around him who are affected by his death. Because, look, there are people who are shitty people, but they're still important to somebody's life. Like, his mother has to deal with the fact that this child has passed. And the last thing you would ever want to do is be on the internet to find out about somebody passing. And then read the nasty comments that people have to say about him. So I haven't said anything on social media about it. Nothing. And I'm not going to. Because I don't. it's not my place to say anything. It's unfortunate that he passed, but what do you want me to do? Like, people are like, yo, he's the next Tupac. Yo, chill out. Oh, my God. The hot takes? I was like, what? Like, literally someone, it was a retweet on my timeline. I forgot who retweeted it. It might have been like Nigel D or something. But he retweeted someone, and they said... Mal- they said he's done more for people than Malcolm X. What did Malcolm X ever do for the culture? That was a direct I mean, quote from a tweet. And I said, what? And I, I don't want to bash someone who's died, you know? Like, I But I just didn't, I didn't comment at all. But it was just ridiculous. Like, you, you don't want to put down the dead, so you, I'm not trying to talk about the kid. But the comment was so dumb that it's just like, what? I don't understand the mind frame of some people on social media. Social media, this this is one of those situations where social media brings out the worst in itself. This is where everyone yeah, shouldn't mean, have a platform. Right. And for the most part, you know, it's it's a cesspool for ignorance and negativity. And like I always tell people, it's like, yo, the, t- Twitter is the one place where everybody has a microphone. Now, some people have a, a bigger crowd, but everybody has the ability to talk to whoever they want and say whatever they want. Like before, before there was no, you didn't have a voice. Like you can go in the comment section or a message board, but it wasn't on this global platform for you to spew nonsense. And people who say that, and somebody, you know, if it was Nigel, for instance, who has a decent Twitter following, you retweet that and this voice gets broadcast to more people. And all it does is create an argument. Like, look, you're doing the kid no favors by making these kind of comparisons. None at all. Like, like why are you doing this? Let, let the young man just died again. 20 years old, like, maybe he was going to change his life. Maybe he wasn't. We don't know. Let's deal with the fact that he was murdered, and let's hope that the right people get prosecuted and charged. And let's, you know, his fans, I feel sorry for you, because if you are really connected to his music, I, I feel for you. But outside of that, leave the commentary and the comparisons. Leave that shit at home. And leave it in your brain. Like, stop typing stuff like this. It does nobody any favors. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I actually listened to his last album because Kaz, uh, if you guys know from Twitter, real life Kaz, uh, he tweeted, he was like, yo, it's actually a good project. He was like, I'm not a fan of his necessarily, but I listened to it and the music musically is good. And I, was like, ah, I was like, all right, let me check this out. And it wasn't bad. It had a kind of like a Kid Cudi vibe. I, don't, <clears throat> I really don't know much about his other work, uh, but he has, you know, kind of that emo, um, half rap, half singing type of thing. I, he has a full-fledged like punk rock song on there and he's pretty damn good at it so it, it was crazy i was like okay the, the kid had talent and i can see why teenagers specifically gravitate towards his music it, it's something you know I, I feel like the inner workings of a teenager can connect to just being moody and emo sometimes and yada 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 so i, I understand how that works but yeah just the, the commentary on the death the, the pictures itself were kind of disturbing. The conspiracy theories to go along with that shit. Like, I mean, everyone listening to podcasts should know. But if you don't, um, I work at Channel 13 here in Vegas. And 
just I, I I deal with this kind of stupidness and, and ignorance to uh, to things all the time where it, it's my job to report people dying sometimes. And it's just incredible to see what people say when people do die. Like we had the one in October shootings here. It's like, yo, there was three shooters. People call for weeks. Why aren't you showing the other shooter? Why aren't you? you oh, why aren't you showing that the government helped plant him in that room and that's why it took 12 minutes and they knew he was going to be there. It's like, yo, fam, shut up with the conspiracy theories. Like, we're, we're not here to, no one's paying me to tell you false truths. Like, what do you, what do you say? We get the information given. This is the facts. And we can only talk and present facts. And some people rather be blind and ignorant and believe randomness than hear the truth. Absolutely. It, it's Absolutely. ridiculous. So this is... A whole nother case, but rest in peace to the ex. Uh, man, I, I think a Pittsburgh rapper was shot and killed as well. Yep. Over the weekend, uh, I we talked about it on a podcast the Takashi Six Nine beef with Chief Keith. I do not see going in a good direction. So that's two more young rappers um, putting themselves in harm's way that really should be squashed. Uh, you know, we talked we talked about Jay Prince telling you know. Uh, well, Drake and Pusha T, like, yo, it's not worth it. I can see where this is going to go. It's not worth it. And these are the type of things where, you know, old head can see and be like, yo, yeah, nah, man. These young kids, they, they're just fans. They don't know any different. This shit can end real wrong. Yep. So Absolutely. it's the latest example that is crazy. Um, well, we got combat sports to talk about. But before we talk about combat sports, though, one other thing I saw on Twitter over the weekend while you're on your, your wine hiatus and something that always wears me out. And I was like, yo, I got to ask Dre this. So I actually want the podcast. To me, it's the weirdest question in journalism. And this happens to me all the time. I'm sure you get it even more because you've been doing it for longer and you're way more successful. People, and this happened to me like three times because I Uber a lot of places. Uber drivers asked me this just a lot of times this past week. Uh, the question is, how did you get that job? As in writing for X, Y, and Z or going to, you know, events, uh, that and can you get me into a place are the two funniest questions I always get. <laughs> like, oh, you're going to this fight? Do you need me to carry a laptop? Do you need an assistant? Do you need a camera person? Can you get me in? Or a fight coming up? Yo, Kel, can you get me this for a fight? No. How do you think I get any? I don't buy tickets. Like, I got one press credential. Uh but no, so that's funny. But people asking, how did you get that job? And my answer is always pretty stupid. I'm always like, I, I started writing. And they just look at me like I'm dumb and like I'm I kind of being an asshole, I guess, they think. And they just shrug it off and stop talking to me. But that's my honest God truth. I just tell them like, yo, how did you become a writer? How do you get to go to all these things? Why are you at all these events? I don't know. I just started writing. And the shit kind of just happened. Dre, you're a wise man. Uh, with with a couple years on me, do people ask you this? And what the hell do you tell them? I mean, like my story, it's funny because my story is always different from everybody else's, and everybody's stories are different. You know how they got into journalism. A lot of them, like one, I don't have a degree in journalism. People ask me that all the time. I do not. I did not go to school for journalism. Um, I was a college dropout before Kanye dropped college dropout for reasons <laughs> that I'll discuss some other time. Um, <laughs> You really, uh, really, there's no place for me to talk about this on the podcast, why I didn't finish at Morehouse College. Um, very personal stuff, though. But 
me, you know, when people ask me, I can't really give them an answer because I'm I'm not really sure because it's like, well, my answer is not really going to help you. Whatever I tell you right now is not really going to help you, especially for me. It's because I didn't go to school for it. Um, I essentially, I mean, the, 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 the skinny of it is I came back from college. I frequented a place called Hip Hop Site. They sold CDs that I like and did music reviews that I like. I, I went there every week whenever new releases dropped. Um, a friend of mine was trying to start a local magazine, knew that I knew a lot about hip hop. She asked me to write uh, a review. Uh, the review, she was like, what, what album did you want to review? It was 2003. I wanted to review Little Brothers the Listening, which is the crazy shit, how everything comes from. <laughs> First review I ever wrote. Um, but I happened to be in the store. And Mike Pizzo, who was the editor, well, was the owner at the time, came downstairs, asked the guy at the front counter, he's like, I need somebody to write a review on this album because one of my writers isn't there. Uh, His name was Luke. Luke was like, I can't do it. Um, uh, Do you have anybody else? And I was like, I can do it. And he was like, who are you? And I'm like, I'm Andreas. I come to the store like every week. Uh, I can review that album. He was like, sure, give it a shot. I wrote a review. He liked it. I wrote another review. I, I wrote I, for for little to no money. I wrote like four reviews a week of albums, underground albums that dropped, and that's how I got started. I mean, that's literally how I got started. Then then I worked at Hip Hop Side. I worked behind the counter. People from Vegas know I worked behind the counter, and I also worked. Um, I also worked and I was writing reviews, and I was the editor. Then I went to Hip Hop DX, and then things took off from there. But my story doesn't help you get into journalism. <laughs> how did you end up in Hip Hop DX? I never even understood that. Like you so, met Shake and Mecca, right? Was that here? That well, Shake lived here, but I didn't know Shake at that particular time. So when I was at Hip Hop Site, like Shake came to Hip Hop Site, but I didn't know who he was. Um, but the, the editor of Hip Hop Site is a guy at the time was a guy named Matt Conaway. Matty C is one of the biggest underground publicists in hip hop now, and he made that transition. He was like, "Oh, if you want to spread your rings, I got a friend at Hip Hop DX named Jeff. You should talk to him." So I talked to him. He was like, hey, you want to write a review? I was like, sure. Wrote a review, wrote two reviews, wrote a column. Then the guy was like, you want to be the editor? Here's the pay. I said, sure. Things took off from there. We was The site only had like 100,000 uniques per month. And after I left, it was 1.5 million. I just put it in the work. And that's where I made shape. So it's, it's really like there's a longer story to it all. But I mean, that's really like the skinny of it. But again, it's like when people ask me that, it's like, if I tell you this, what does it do for you? People go, oh, well, now I know. You really don't because it was circumstance and talent and timing. That's really what it was. But you tell people then the exact same thing I tell people. And I feel like everyone's story is the same. Like everyone I know pretty much who's a writer, you wake up one day and you just write. Like I remember I was in, I stopped going to college. uh, Well, I stopped playing football in college. Uh, did nothing for like six months. Um, my ex-wife and the kids, she wanted to move the kids back to Kansas City with their family. We had more support over there. I was like, all right, fuck it. I went to Kansas City, um, which I still shout out to all my peoples in Kansas City. Love the people. Uh, really don't like the town. It was boring. Like I'm too big city for that. So I just did nothing at home all day. And I was like, yo, I got to get back in school. I signed up for JUCO. So I went to community college um, for like a couple months. And they had a radio station, did that. And I remember like I was... I wanted to do sports radio on a radio station while I was going there because I hated going to school if I wasn't doing anything extracurricular. So I was like, all right, I'll be at this radio station. And I remember sitting outside waiting to interview uh, and ask him if I could do sports radio there because they only had regular DJs. 
but they had like a 6 a.m. slot that they didn't care about. I was like, yo, I just want to do sports radio. I wanted to be coward. So I was like, all right, cool. And I remember sitting in the lobby about to interview and ESPN was on and I look up and it was Sports Center, and I was like, yo, I could do that. I was like, people get paid to do that. It's like, that's so crazy. Like, I want to get paid to do that. And that was it. Then I went, got the radio show. I was on Twitter one day, uh, SNY, the channel in New York, had an internship contest. You had to write an article on the New York Giants draft. Um, and at this point, I was just doing radio. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to be a writer necessarily. But I was like, it's the New York Giants. Like, that's my team. And it was about the draft. I was like, I could write a draft preview. Wrote it. They selected me out of a national search. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, as an internship. Did an internship. My internship year was the year they went to the Super Bowl, 2011. Um, so Kansas City, obviously, is very close to Indianapolis. I got to experience that. Um didn't get paid, just went there by my damn self to Indianapolis for my internship stuff. Walked around the city, didn't get credential for the game, but I got to do a bunch of Super Bowl week stuff and use that, my writing from that, to parlay that to another joint. Uh, ended up with, like, the BSO gig. Had to be on the West Coast. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm moving back to Vegas. You know? I talked about the other parts that happened in between, that marriage falling apart, uh, me having a girlfriend on the side, we moved back to Vegas. It was a whole bunch of wild shit at the time. But I never stopped writing. Like, I have gone through a divorce, you know, several girlfriends, living out my car, a bunch of random shit that everyone, I feel like, goes through uh, to be successful. So, I, I've done all of that, but I always have my Xbox, I always have my laptop. So, I was like, fuck it, that's all I need. And I, I remember going to Starbucks and writing all day. Like, yo, I'm good, we got Wi-Fi, knocking out four or five articles and, and being drastically underpaid. Um, and only being paid for covering live events. So I was like, fuck, I got to get to more live events. Started going to boxing, started going to UFC, whatever it was in Vegas, because obviously we don't have a team. So I was like, how am I going to get paid to cover combat sports? Met weird people like Andreas Hale here, you know, ended up on a podcast, yada, yada, yada. We're here today. And uh, I'm in my loft, chilling, getting paid to write full time. So I I tell people all the time, like, yo, you just got to write. Like, literally, the more you write, the harder you work, shit actually works out. Connections, no connections, like it, it just works out the harder you work. I went from my junior college in Kansas City to applying for an internship at 610 Sports Radio, got hired by Nick Wright, who's now on Fox Sports, um, worked for Danny Parkins, who's now on ESPN Radio in Chicago, and Carrington Harrison, who now has the biggest show in Kansas City. You also went viral for like the Kanye West bracket during March Madness. Um, and those two are the guys who hired, all three of them hired. Three wildly successful people. I think they were 23, 24, and 25 at the time. All at this radio station. They hired me when I was 21. And it's just like, when you're talented and you work a lot, you the universe brings other talented, hardworking people around you. It's the craziest shit. Like, it just happens. So I tell people, like, yo, all you got to do is write. You're like, I want a podcast. Cool. You know, get get a garage band, get a Skype, or get a SoundCloud, let's do it. It's literally as simple as doing it and being consistent, and then it happens. So I wanted to share that because it's, it's the weirdest shit. People look at me weird all the time. And I feel like people who listen to podcasts always wonder, like, yo, how did you guys do this? They just listen to us every week. But they're like, how did this happen? It's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I was, I was writing. I felt like getting paid a little more. I did some UFC stuff. They sat me next to Andreas. He was like, hey, you black? I was like, yeah, you're black too. We get a podcast. Like, it, it's crazy. Like, but these are how things work. So I always... Your story is more interesting than most. 
you know, you're, you're like a clam. It's hard to pry that open. You're like, you're, you're very internal, but it's cool when you share stories because your stories are wild and you've never yeah. fully gotten into that BT. Like you've always had multiple jumps. Like you, I swear, I joke all the time. Like, yo, you're the hardest working guy, but you always have like 18 jobs. Yeah, I feel Jamaican. I feel like <laughs> you are. Like you, it's it's crazy, and you always have like eighteen jobs. And I'm like, yo, Andreas just writes all day, pretty and, much, and that's it. That's what I was like. Oh shit, I should probably start writing more. I kind of feel like getting more jobs writing. Like yeah, I should probably just start writing more again, and then more jobs just pop up out of blue. So it, it, it's bananas to see, and that was just something that popped in my mind. I was like, yo, I feel like Andreas got a similar story. Yeah, I mean, I you know. It's just not like there's two things about me. One, I've never felt like I'm interesting enough to tell stories that people care about. Not in that way. I don't, I don't know. That's always been my thing. That's weird because you tell other people's stories amazingly well. Right. That's what that's what I've been told. But it's just like my <laughs> personal, like the stuff about me and how I got in here and the stuff that I went through to get to where I am, blah, blah, blah. I just feel like everybody's got a story and it's cool to share um, and if you ask me, I'll tell you, but it's like, I don't want to inundate somebody's time with me telling my story. And it's, you know, I found out that, yeah, my story is a little bit different than other people's, but I feel like everybody's stories are different. Everybody's path is different. But, you know, the end game was when I started writing, because it wasn't something I grew up wanting to do necessarily. Like I knew I wanted to be in music because I was consumed by music. Like that's all, like I bought when I was young, I bought a CD every week for like three years. It didn't matter, a CD or a cassette tape. That's how long ago we're back we're going. <laughs> when I first had money, I was at the warehouse, Sam Goody, buying a new album every week and consuming it. I, when I was a kid, I used to write down the lyrics to every song. Um, there was a time I wanted to be a rapper. And then I wanted, and I wrote rhymes all the time. Like I was constantly writing. How was so, your freestyle skills real quick? Like When I was younger, that was pretty dope. Like, you dope? It was, you know, it's, you know, I was a punchline rapper. Like when I, that's why I always gravitated to people like Ken. Like the reason why in hip hop, which was weird to me, if a rapper could say or write something that I couldn't think of, that's what I considered dope. That that was my thing. If you, if I felt like I could do what you're doing, I was like, that's not dope. But when I heard Illmatic as a kid, I was like, who the fuck thinks like this? Like that, that was what made me want to write because I didn't feel like those artists. We're getting their stories told properly. Like my whole thing about writing was I love telling stories, whether it's using video, producing documentaries, whether it's writing or whether it's doing like radio or whatever. I like to tell stories and I feel like not enough people's stories are getting told properly, especially as a black man in like combat sports or just in this industry. Because the weird thing about hip hop now is that there are more white people telling our stories than black people. And that's no disrespect to white folks because there's some really good white writers. But the black experience is something that is, you know, we rap about it, but we don't necessarily write about it. So I've always been interested in telling those stories. And that's been my whole life. And that's all I've ever wanted to do in some way, shape or form. Like I've always wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to write a movie. And I've always wanted to tell stories and just all of that combined into what I'm doing now. And, it, and I grinded and I worked hard. And people were like, did you get paid immediately? Hell no. Hell no. Was like my wife was like, yo, go, like, because I was working, like, I would work. I worked at the Riviera, which is a casino out here, in the hard count, which meant I worked at from 3, 2.30 a.m. to uh, 11 at 30 a.m. Those were my hours. I would come home, find albums that I liked when I was writing for Hip Hop Site, and write a review the same day. Well, not the same day. I, I listened to it over and over and over again. Then, like, four days earlier, I'd write my review. And it was like, 
that wasn't like my life, but I wasn't getting paid for reviews. So all my time was getting taken up writing. And then eventually you get paid. But people that come out the jump and like, yo, I want to get paid. It's not how this shit works. You do have to pay your dues and prove that you're good at what you do. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, you know, we're like deep into the show right now. And people are like, where's it? <laughs> So Listen, I don't want to hold people up. Your, your story is, is dope. It's crazy. People don't understand this. This is what people like, by the way, Andreas Hill. People like this aspect of it and getting to look behind the curtain. We like getting to look behind the curtain. You just watch WWE 24 on the Hardys. Can't tell me yeah, that shit wasn't crazy. dope. They want to look behind this curtain as well. It was amazing. And this is the same thing people want from us. Like it, it, It's crazy. But yeah, like you don't make money for so long. And we'll talk about this at a different time because we got to have more story times with Andreas Hale here on the podcast. But another aspect where people don't understand is a lot of guys, and I'll say this, you know, I I don't need a a large sample size. I can say this pretty confidently. A lot of men have a woman behind them that allows them to be successful. Whether at that point it's your mother still at that point or it's your significant other or, you know, someone you've been in a relationship for a long time or what it, it, you go through a lot of ups and downs in this industry and it's not the most talented people who win it's the people who stick it out and a lot of the times you stick it out because you have a woman who like my ex-wife used to go to work all the damn time and I was just taking internship after internship after internship like I'd stay at home I cook I clean I do little stuff like that so she didn't have to worry about it but financially money wise she was putting up the bread and I was just working and grinding she reached a point where she couldn't do that anymore, whatever, whatever. We'll talk about that on a different podcast. But, it, you know, there's always that point where it's like, yo, the, the money doesn't come for so long. And then you can sustain your life when you start getting paid. Um, thankfully, it's hard to kind of backslide. Once you know your worth, you go out there and you get your money. But at, at first, yo, there's, there's not, not, a lot of, not a lot of money in this. There's not a lot of glitz and gam- glamour. Uh, you get paid with, with access for a long time. You get to go to concerts for free. You get to talk to people. But that, that doesn't translate into money. You got to turn that into money, which, which is bananas. But now, thanks to you rushing along story time, we got to talk combat sports. People would say that's what keeps the lights on around here. Uh, we had boxing last weekend. Seems like we have no boxing this weekend. Um, we had Errol Spence Jr. coming out on the heels of Terrence Crawford. People were looking, who's the best at 147? Who's the best pound for pound? Where does Errol fit in this conversation? And he comes out and just dominates first round KO. Not surprised. You're not? I thought the fight was fairly competitive to start out with. I was like, ooh, okay, Errol's getting hit a little bit. The other kid was opening up. I was like, okay, I, I kind of like this right now. I was like, this is going to be you know, a kind of tough fight. And the Errol, I, I was like, okay, he's not throwing to the head a lot. It's like he's taking a couple headshots. And just really working the body, throwing to the body, throwing to the body. I was like, oh, he's preparing for a long fight. And then that body blow came. I was like, yep, the body blow made this a short fight. Yeah, I mean, Ocampo was a guy who, you know, I believe was undefeated heading into this fight, but never really fought anybody. So it was, there was no reason to think Ocampo was going to be competitive in this fight whatsoever. And Errol Spence worked diligently with the body, he said after the fight. Um, I wanted to this fight to go deeper, but you know, shit, shit happens. Basically, I hit him in, with a body punch. He didn't get up. What do you want me to do? Errol Spence is a bad man. We know this. Like we know that he's a bad man. And you know, the first round knockout, not surprising. But Errol is being the, the interesting thing about Errol. And I guess we can go right into this. Is he doesn't have a promoter right now. You know, he's under the PBC umbrella in terms of promotions, 
But Showtime is kind of more or less his promoter. He's a free agent. Yeah. His manager reaches out to a promoter says, you want to fight this guy? Sure. And that's how it happens. So he fights primarily on Showtime. But now he's like, you know, he wants, uh, I, I forgot, I think, I can't remember who his mandatory is. But he was like, eh, I don't want to fight him. Uh, I want to fight, you know, Jesse Vargas if I can't find a champion. And can I fight Keith Thurman? Like, he wants all the big fights now. I love that mentality in a fighter. I don't like fighters that say, like Keith Thurman said, which is weird because they're both world champions. Spence is a world champion. Thurman's a world champion. And Thurman's like, I'll take that fight down the line. Spence is like, give me that shit now. Yeah. Like, I want to fight you now. I want the winner, Garcia and Porter, now. Thurman, now. Crawford, absolutely want that now. Fighters don't do that. And I love that about him. And it makes him, between, it's really him and Terrence Crawford. I love Sean Porter. Not a big fan of Danny Garcia, obviously. Keith Thurman, I think, is, is great, but he's, he's kind of regressed a bit. It's Spence and Crawford's oyster, man. Like, it's those two guys on a collision course for a fight probably in the next year and a half. Well, at the pace they, they like to move, yeah, a year and a half. A year and a half wouldn't be difficult. But it, once again, it revolves around everyone else. So it revolves around, you know, can he fight Keith Thurman before that? Because I think he fights Keith Thurman before he fights Terrence Crawford. Can he get, you know, D- Garcia, um, the Garcia fight? Or the Porter fight, depending on how they're, you know, that one shakes out. Can he fight one of those two guys? Can he go in and just unify some belts and, and make it an attractive fight to become maybe the undisputed champion at 147? Like, these are things that build intrigue to that point, And he still has to go through the gauntlet. I, I feel like he's in a better place, though. And we said this before. We talked about this before. Um, he's in a better place than Terrence Crawford. Because he has the luxury of people to fight. Terrence Crawford's run out of options already. Yeah. And then that's the problem. It's, it's, it's Errol Spence can fight, you know, Thurman, Garcia, Porter, Vargas. Hell, he could fight Broner, but Broner don't want that fight. Broner just retired again today on the internet. No way. <laughs> he retired on the internet. <laughs> yeah, he basically said, I'm done with this. Nobody listens to him. Like, the, Vargas is negotiating a rematch with Broner as we speak. But uh, Broner should have took that money. By yeah, the way. yeah, the, the Hearn money. The Hearn money. But, he should have took that money. Should have took it and ran to the bank. He's a dummy. So I mean, it is what it is. But yes, Spence has more options. And uh, the you know, Oscar De La Hoya kind of criticized him for not having a promoter because he feels like a promoter will help you get over the top, which is true. Uh, a promoter can negotiate to get you on pay per view and will handle those things. Like Spence will never fight on pay per view if he doesn't have a promoter. It just won't happen. Um, but I think eventually he'll get to the point, you know, that he will. And Fighters that didn't have promoters, great fighters that didn't have promoters, the one that immediately comes to mind is Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones didn't have a promoter. It's the reason why you didn't see him on pay-per-view or in huge fights. It's crazy, but that's kind of how a promoter works. If you didn't have Aram, Don King back then, um, then you really weren't anywhere to be found. So Spence needs to find somebody. But for right now, if he can keep cruising along, kicking ass on Showtime, eventually that Terrence Crawford fight will happen, and he'll get it. Like it, the, the money will be too good to pass up. So... Somebody's got to make this happen. It's just I'm glad that he's out here saying, I want everybody now. If you had to guess, what's his next move? What's his next fight? Uh, If Jesse Vargas doesn't take – if Adrian Broner doesn't take the Jesse Vargas rematch, that's the fight to make. Otherwise, he's going to fight whoever his mandatory is. It's somebody that he'll beat up. So he might get another cupcake, but I know that's what he's hoping for. Um, Somebody like Jesse Vargas because – Keith Thurman ain't fighting him no time soon. So that's probably the only route he could go. All right. Yeah. I, 
I'm not sure how active he wants to stay. Once again, all those PBC guys only fight like once or twice a year. So he might have to wait for the Garcia. Uh, the Garcia versus... Why am I keep... Porter. Garcia versus Porter winner. Um, which, man, puts him in like November. I mean, it puts him back further than that. I mean, look, Porter and Garcia are fighting... It looks like August like 27th or something like that. Oh, I it, thought it was closer than that. No, it looks like August. I believe it's, it's going to be at Barclays. The rumored date is late August is what they're looking at for Porter and Garcia. Okay. So if they fight then, you're not getting Errol Spence versus the winner of that fight till next year. So Spence is going to have to fight somebody in November. Well, that sucks. I would, hey, you trying to make that trip, though? Corner podcast in New York? We can hit SummerSlam. We can watch that fight. Yeah, maybe making that trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, corner podcast on the East Coast. They ain't ready for us. Um, all right, so that is boxing in a nutshell because it was pretty easy. Uh, MMA, we have Bellator made an announcement right before we started the show. Rory Mack versus Gregard Mursasi. Uh champ versus champ, finalized for September. That's going to be one hell of a fight. Uh, Mursasi was amazing. We just saw him run through someone in his last fight. But his title's on the line, Rory's is not. That's just what happens when you're the heavier guy. Do you think this is going to be a marquee matchup for Bellator? Or do they have to put one of these heavyweight tournament ragamuffin fights on the card with it to sell? Well, the interesting thing about this is that also what looks like is going to be on this card is Rampage versus Vandalay Silva. Oh, well, there you go. So <laughs> Bellator is making all the right moves right now. Um Gegard versus Roy McDonald is a pretty big fight for diehard MMA fans. Uh, Rampage and Vanderlei Silva will get the more casual MMA fans because of their name recognition. They used to fight for the UFC and used to fight for Pride. So Bellator and, and Scott Coker are going the right way with this, you know, with booking this fight. It's in San Jose, I believe it's September 29th. Um, they haven't said if it's going to be pay-per-view or anything like that, but which I, I doubt it will be. I think they'll go another route. I think, I think Bellator knows what they're working with and trying to get find ways to get access to more people. So um, then they're making a special announcement on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. So whatever that is, it's just, it's just a big deal for Bellator right now. Like this is a McDonald Musashi is a pretty big fight. It's a fight that I definitely want to see. Skill wise. Um, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Roy Mack is a big ass welterweight and Musashi is a solid, you know, former light heavyweight and he's a fight at middleweight. It's a really good fight. This is a fight that I'm more hyped about this fight. Almost more hype about this fight than Stipe versus Cormier. I'm really hype about Stipe and Daniel Cormier, and that's right around the corner. But uh, Gegard versus Roy Mack, that's that's a big deal, man. Because arguably like they're the two people. best in their divisions in the world. UFC, Bellator, everything included. Um, Rory, yeah. Rory beat the UFC champion in his division. And Gegard, I, I mean, I, I take him over Bobby Knuckles. I mean, we're at that point now. It's like Bellator, they, you know, they didn't, they, they picked up Roy Mack. And that was, this is what Bellator needed to do. Bellator didn't necessarily need to pick up all the high-profile names, but they needed to pick the really good fighters. And Gegard was on a roll before, you know, having, before leaving in free agency. Roy McDonald, yeah, he lost that war with Robbie Lawler, and it was a risk to Taven because he didn't know how that face was going to recover. But oh, now he lost to Wonderboy, I think. Yeah, he also lost to Wonderboy. But Roy McDonald has always had the talent. Mm-hmm. So now you got these two guys fighting each other on Bellator, and you're giving Bellator the opportunity to gain ground on the UFC. UFC's still a lemon, guys. It's still a lemon. There's options out there, and Bellator is one of them. So 
I think this is September 29th. This is a fight to look forward to. Yeah, I think it's great matchmaking. They didn't wait. They're like, you know what? We're pulling the trigger on two of our best fighters going at it. Um, and in the end, it's really Rory loses. So what? He's still champion. Gegard's still champion. If Rory wins, he makes some, you know, some history. Uh, what, Branch was the other one? Uh, Branch and World Series of Fighting. World Series of Fighting was a two-division champion. Uh, I don't think anyone in Bellator was two-division, were there? Uh, no, no, we haven't had a two-division champion yet. No, no. Um, so that's, you know, it's a rare air. The UFC has had a couple now. But, you know, you get World Series and all this. Like, it, it doesn't happen all the time. So it's a chance at history. And that'll be fun. So I, I'm looking forward to it. That's a good move. And they have the young talent to stack that card with up-and-coming oh, yeah. fighters that, that makes it worth it, uh, even if you have to stand through that, that Rampage fight and the shenanigans that always come with the Bellator card. Um, UFC, UFC has a fight card this weekend. UFC Singapore, Cowboy Cerrone headlining it. Um, these are, this is one of the cards that is going to be on ES, ESPN+, Plus, but it, it could really go by the wayside. These are the cards they have to trim. Because this fight, yeah. this fight's a FS1 prelim, maybe main event, maybe FS1 prelim main event on a pay-per-view card. And that's a stretch. Like, these guys could have add, added depth to other cards, and instead they're going at it. Um, let's go through some of the key fights for that. Uh, headline, obviously, by Cowboy Cerrone versus Edwards, um, which is, you know, a good fight. And like I said, Leon Edwards has the talent. Cowboy Cerrone's playing gatekeeper. That's what he does. I, I'm going to take Cowboy in this one, but I'm not certain. I, I can see Cowboy losing easily. Yeah, I mean, Leon Edwards is like a fringe contender. This is his fight to make his entrance. But if you kind of look at his record, his last loss was Kamara Usman. And aside from that, Leon Edwards hasn't really beaten anybody worth noting. Uh, Peter Sabata, Brian Baverina, Vincent... Uh, Vicente Luque, Albert Tumanov, it's like, mm, they're not big names. So this is big step up. And uh, Cowboy, yeah, he's one in three in his last four fights. Um, but he's lost to Robbie Lawler, Jorge Masvidal, and uh, Darren Till. It's not really, these are guys that's like, well, you lose to them, it's like, so? They're like top guys. Yeah. So I'm picking Cerrone to win this fight. Um, I could obviously see Leon because he's the guy on the come up. I think he's nine years younger than Cowboy. Cowboy's 35, Leon is 26, I believe. And uh, Edwards, former Bama champion, um, and he's he's talented. He's a real well-rounded guy. Uh, but you know, if if Cowboy works how Cowboy normally works, and he's not shopworn, which I don't necessarily think he is yet, but he could. If he loses this fight, he's shopworn. Yeah. Um, but I think if Cowboy does what Cowboy does best, this fight doesn't go five rounds, and Cowboy wears him down in the middle eight rounds. This is the first guy, honestly, who's Cowboy size or smaller in a long time. Yeah, because, yeah, Cowboy's a former lightweight. People tend to forget that. Yeah, so, I mean, he moved up and then faced a lot of big-ass guys. Darren Till's a huge dude against Cowboy. Unfairly huge. Yeah, so, so this is someone actually his size. So, I, I like this fight for him. I'll pick him. But, yeah, if he loses this one, it, it's it's headed to the washed section of the UFC roster. Um, we have Ovis St. Prue versus Tyson Pedro. Co-main co event, uh, St. Prue via St. Prue choke. Man, this is a weird fight because both of them have lost to the guy who's now the top dog in light heavyweight, Ilya Latifi. Who would have ever thought Latifi would be the top guy? Like, Latifi 
beat Ty- he's the only person to get out of the first round with Tyson Pedro, and he beat him by unanimous decision by wrestling him, and he choked out o- OSP in the first round. And now these two are fighting each other. And the thing about Tyson Pedro, yeah, he beats everybody in the first round by knockout or submission. OSP, he's a weird guy because he's insanely – well, he's raw power and talent. But his technique leaves a lot to be desired. He oh, goes yeah. wild. He definitely his... leaves himself open to get knocked out. Right. So, but I think that if with a with a measured approach that OSP can catch Tyson Pedro and finish him. I don't know how. Like, if, if OSP does something ridiculous and overcommits on something, he's going to get knocked out. Pedro's that type of guy. He's a little bit more disciplined. But man, it's just you really don't know what's coming with OSP. He, like he throws wild winning punches. I mean, shit, he fought John Jones. Like, OSP has fought some competition. Yeah. So I'm going to pick OSP here to win this fight. I, I just don't know. Somebody's This fight's not going three rounds. I don't see that either. No, someone's getting choked out. Um, I would say knocked out, but I'm more comfortable with they get knocked to the ground and get choked out. I'm going to say OSP loses. Just because he, he's just weird sometimes. I, I think he's just good enough to beat the Patrick Cummins of the world but not good enough to take that other step. He has lost to a who's who. Um, Latifi lost was a little bit weird. But, in you know, he's lost to those guys. So I, I see him not being good enough to beat Tyson Pedro right now. Um, I'm yeah. going on the opposite. I'm picking OSP just because the raw power and the talent, I think it's, it's so raw that it's hard. You know, like if he catches you, you're going to sleep. But, yeah, he can make a mistake. This is a 50-50 fight in my opinion, but I'm going to pick OSP. Yeah, and then everything else, uh, stat card uh, with yeah, kind of Asi- Asian fighters. Um, so I-, I get it. It's in Singapore. It's going to be a showcase for them. Um, yeah, Jessica I versus Jessica Rose Clark. And my boy, Toruto Ishihara. Um, he's there for the ladies. Don't get it twisted. But I always like watching him fight. His post-fight celebration conference is always hilarious. And he's always down to party. So... Uh, that's, I'd say you probably watch four or five fights on that card and you probably will leave saying, you know what? Dana White's trying to find a fighter on Thursday or Tuesday night show was better than this card. That shit was fun. Um, last Tuesday, it was crazy. So he gave out four contracts last week, you know, everyone was getting slept. Yeah. Why not? It was one hell of a showcase. Let's go. Changing gears. Finally into pro wrestling. A couple things to... Uh, go through here. We have WWE, NXT TakeOver, Money in the Bank, uh, but we're going to start with the passing of Big Van Vader. Um, man, I, throwing up the V and saying it's Vader time. I always wanted the mask growing up. Uh, watched him, obviously, growing up through his WWE days when I kind of came into my own and could go back and I had the internet. I watched a lot of his earlier fights. I actually caught some at Blockbuster Video when they had the tapes. Old school WCW stuff. And now, finally getting to go back, watch his Japanese stuff. What a great career. Great super heavyweight. Um, you know, I, I loved his appearances on Boy Meets World. That was, that's part of my generation right there. Uh, Mr. Sakino, Frankie's dad, who was also Vader. He chased around Jake the Snake in an episode or two. Uh, so that, that was fun, man. The guy had a ton of personality. And he was one of, to me, one of the true heels. He didn't have to be... He didn't have to be a foreign guy. He didn't have to be, you know, the Iron Sheik or Russian or anything like that to be hated and to be a heel. 
he was a heel just because he was he was one of the first just monster heels. He was scary as hell. And uh, man, what a legacy. And it's sad to see him pass. Hopefully WWE does the right thing and puts him in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Vader, you know, my first uh, memories of Big Van Vader was watching WCW and his feud with Sting, which is unbelievable. Um, anybody who has the network, you can go back and watch this. It's the early 90s. Vader versus Sting was a phenomenal, phenomenal feud. Um, Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow were the two guys that made me go, God damn, these fat motherfuckers move. Like, <laughs> like Bam Bam with the cartwheels of any dude. This, this is really so nice. There was a WrestleMania game on Nintendo back in the day, and Bam Bam Bigelow, his special move was just doing cartwheels. It was fucking stupid, but he did cartwheels. <laughs> and as a kid, I was fascinated. I was like, yo, why is this fat guy doing car- cartwheels? So then one day, you know, watching WCW uh, and seeing Vader do the Vader bomb, and I was like, holy shit. And I was just watching him move, and I was like, yo, he can move. As I got older, like, I didn't necessarily care for his WWF run. His WCW run was better. Obviously, his Japan run was much better than, than both. Um, but Japan, I didn't get the chance to see until I got older because you couldn't find those tapes. Yep. Um, but Vader, man, Vader was just a hell of a talent. You know, hearing it's Vader time. Uh, just the mask and watching him just breathe through the mask. It was just like, yo, he used to, he reminded me of another movie of Sean Mage, The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I always thought that Vader could have been one of the, one of the, uh, the gladiators on uh, the Running Man movie because he just had that look. Um, and it, when he came out, he was menacing. He was big. Like he used to club the shit out of people. So it's sad to see him pass heart failure. I know he's been dealing with heart conditions for the past two or three years, but, uh, such a legend, man, and I advise anybody to go back and watch those feuds with Sting. It was just remarkable stuff. One of the stiffest, just hardest to even watch power bombs in the business. Oh man, that power bomb! Like, oh when my I, god! <laughs> when Diesel, when when Kevin Nash used to do his jackknife power bomb, I hated it because he just used to throw him up and yeah. just drop him. Vader used to just slam you, like try to murder you, and I was like, <laughs> I used to love that. Because I loved the power bomb as a kid, because I was like, "Yo, it looks like he's murdering people." Like I hated Diesel's power bomb. He just lifts you up and just lets you float down. Vader used to murder people. Yeah, so, you were trying to put you through the canvas. Yeah, I love that about him. He man, he was like when you talk about the New Japan style stiff guys that laid in thick. That was Big Van Vader. Yeah, man, the, the WWE run doesn't do him justice. Uh, I don't, I don't even think he did the moonsaults really in WWE by that time. <laughs> A couple times, like I just remember him losing to like Kane and like a few other people. I just was like, man, that's not fair. Vader's better than yeah, this. But. That's that Ken Shamrock uh, gift that's going around where he just lays into Shamrock. Like Shamrock oh, hits yeah. him with a stiff elbow and he just clubs the shit out of him. I was like, oh, I was like, yeah. I was like, you know what? Sometimes he just gotta let you know. He seems like that guy, like that enforcer in the locker room, OG style wrestler, man, and. I've seen it a lot, and, and it's true. He was before his time. Absolutely. He was the Samoa Joes, the Keith Lees, the Jeff Cobbs. He's that type of guy. Demo, all these, all those guys are here because Vader did it first. So it, it, that was incredible. Um, better note, lighter note, New Japan Pro Wrestling. G1 is right around the corner. The brackets came out already. A block and B block. Uh, I say I feel like we say this every year. This is our fourth year covering this on the show. B block is stacked. stacked. B block is more unpredictable than the A block. I feel like you. I feel like the matches on B block are just going to be insane. 
They are, they are, but I mean, let's go through it real quick. A block is Tanahashi, uh, Togi Makabe, Michael Elgin, Kazusuke Okada, Jay White, Yoshihashi, Bad Luck Fale, Hangman Page, Evil, and Minoru Suzuki. It's pretty loaded. B block, Juice Robinson, Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, Toro Yano, who's always a joke but gets to beat somebody. Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, Tamatanga, Tessio Naito, Sonata, and Zack Sabre Jr. B block, like you mentioned, is absolutely stacked. But you look at that B block and you go, well, who is going to win? It's tough because Kenny Omega's the champ, but the champ never wins G1. No, unless you're going to drop it and then you use it to come back. But I don't see that happening. So I think Omega rides into um, Wrestle Kingdom. So it's like, okay, Kenny Omega's not going to do that, but he's going to put on amazing matches. So let's, let's kind of break this down based on possible storylines. A block, obvi- the obvious guy to win out of here is Kazushi Okada because he wants to get his title back, right? Correct. I, fe- I feel like we might get a curveball here. I don't know how or who, but I feel like Okada might be too obvious. But maybe the obvious play is the right one here. Um, the first night, I feel like Jay White's going to beat Okada on night one. I feel like you can book that right now. That Jay White's going to beat Okada on night one. And Okada's going to lose at the Bad Luck Fale on the second, in his second match. He's going to lose two consecutive matches and have to work his way back. Tanahashi will probably be the one that's going to be in his way. Uh, Michael is going to have a, a, a great show. But, and then there's Suzuki, obviously. But nobody thinks Suzuki's going to win this thing. So it looks like Okada would be the guy. Jay White is the dark horse in the A block, in my opinion. Um, the B block, on the other hand... With Kota Ibushi, and I know everybody was, people was on my Twitter feed going nuts, like, Ibushi versus Omega. I don't see it, though. The more I think about it, the more I think that Tetsuo Naito has to win the B block. He has to beat Kenny Omega. He has to win the B block and get his, his rematch at Wrestle Kingdom with who, his second shot at whoever the champion is, whether it's Okada or, or Omega. But I feel like Naito's got to be the guy. I don't, <sighs> I don't see it going another way. All right. So, I'm going to say it's so tough. Because I, I can see your scenario, but I can also see the hype surrounding Omega, Okada, and, and their amazing matches. I'm going to say we are going to end up in a final of Naito... And Okada. And then Naito. Naito will win that. He'll beat Okada to move on. But I can also see Okada beating him, though. And finalizing the feud with Kenny. If they think Kenny is gone, Okada wins this and Okada beats him at Wrestle Kingdom. If you think Kenny will ever leave for the WWE. If you're secure and Kenny reading up, then... Naido can go, and you got Kenny, and you can play with you know whatever feud you want. So here's my opinion on this. I think Okada's run as the ace is over. I think Okada will lose to Naito, which will, one, puts Naito over Okada because he couldn't get the victory at Wrestle Kingdom, so Naito will beat Okada at G1 to go on to Wrestle Kingdom. Okada will probably get his rematch with Kenny Omega at Kings of Pro Wrestling and lose again. And then it'll be Kenny versus uh, Naito at Wrestle Kingdom. I don't think they'll put Okada back in that position because I feel like they're ready to move on from Okada. And it's in the, they may put the title back on him at some point, but I think right now your two hottest stars are Kenny Omega and Tetsuo Naito. 
And that's the match that you got to have. And people forget, dude, they had a five-star match at uh, G1 Climax that year that Kenny Omega was going absolutely bananas. Yeah. But they had a nuts match. So for them to revisit that match, and if Naito were to beat Omega in the B block to get to Okada and beat Okada to get to Wrestle Kingdom, you're looking at the, the perfect scenario where Naito, is, for once, is white hot coming into Wrestle Kingdom. Like, he's on fire. And he's already beat Omega. He's already beat Okada, but he just hasn't done it for the title. So I think that's your scenario. I don't think... And You gave up on the Abushi angle real quick. I was liking I, the Abushi angle. I like it too, but I don't think it's time, considering h- how strong the following is for Tetsuo Naito. And the other reason why is because Obushi's in the same block with Kenny. So we're kind of getting that match too early. So I don't think we're going to get it again at Wrestle Kingdom. So I feel like if, if, if Kota Obushi was in the A block, then I'd say, okay, we have a possibility. But now that they're all in the B block... I feel like you can't put Obushi past uh, uh, Tetsuo Naito. I don't think you can. But, I mean, you never know. You never know how things play out. But I, I like Naito versus Okada. I like Naito going over Okada. And then Naito going to Russell Kingdom with whoever the champion is, which I figure will be Kenny Omega. No, that's fair. I mean, it's... Kenny Omega, I don't see him dropping it at all before then. So, I, I think that's a, a safe bet that Omega ends up there. And it's just a, a race to see who beats or who gets to Omega and New Japan's, you know, year by year contracts always just make me just super tense. Cause every year in January we're like, is someone leaving? Is someone staying? So we'll see. And Vince now has the money. He can throw as much money as he wants at these guys to leave New Japan. It's all in a matter of do they want to? And how you know, how deep does their loyalties lie? So we'll see how that works out. Long time until then. Let's review uh Big WWE weekend, though. We had NXT TakeOver, Chicago. Fun matches. We disagree on match of the night. Yeah, we do. And we'll start. The first match um, of the pay-per-view was the tag team match, which surprisingly from Meltzer, Undisputed Era versus only Lorkin and Danny Burch, by the way, uh, got a four and a half stars for Meltzer. He really, really liked this. What? Yeah. It's good. It was a really good match. I didn't really think it was that good, but it was I good. Think, I don't think it was four and a half stars, but um, I thought it was really good. Only Lorcan showed out. I thought he would. The guy, you know, Busey can wrestle, man. Um, so that was fun. Undisputed Era retained, so that was dope. It was a nice way to start the pay-per-view, but I didn't think it was four and a half stars. Well, like, see, my and this is my qualm with this entire pay-per-view. We knew the champions were all going to retain yeah, that, 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 that's what kind of, for me, that ruined the entire experience of it because there was no chance in hell that any of the champions were going to lose. So as fun as that match was, we all knew Undisputed Era was going to win. So I think that automatically knocks it back like a half a star. Great tag match. And Biff Busick, Oni Larkin went bananas in this match. But I feel like there was no real build for those two. And it gave them really no chance in hell to win. It was just a great exhibition for them. Great tag match, great way to start the pay-per-view, but, dude, I hate knowing who's going to win. I, like, sometimes it makes sense, but this time it just didn't. Yeah, Oni's like Diet Cesaro. Like, they have yeah. a lot of the same spots where you're just like, wow, this guy can go. Just unlimited energy. It's incredible. Um, by the way, I wasn't tweeting during NXT TakeOver. I let my daughter take over my account. So it was thoughts from my 13-year-old daughter uh, rocking out on the account. She got some good interaction, though, so... Uh, Leia held it down. Um, so if it sounded like a teenage girl was tweeting, 
during NXT TakeOver? It's because it was. And she's a super mark for certain people. Um, second match included, she was rooting so hard for the Velveteen Dream to the point of she was booing Ricochet several times during the match when he hit good spots. Uh, but in the end, 22 minutes and 10 seconds gave this a ton of time. And these two guys showed out. To me, it was my match of the night. They put on a show. Uh, great chemistry, great spots, you know, using each other's finishers, teasing each other's moves. It wasn't all high-flying. Ricochet did some stuff that was like, wow. But it, it was really, he showed that he's an all-around great performer. And, and the two, from, from the opening jump, Ricochet's entrance with the Prince Puma pants and, and the Hulk Hogan, the big F you to Hulk Hogan staring, stealing that swag, to, to Ricochet coming out with the wings on his back. You know, them calling him King Rick, Ricochet, uh, arguing back to kind of his like PWG run. I, I, I liked it all. Just the entire match was just great to me. Yeah, I thought the match was fun, but I wouldn't give him anything higher than the four. I thought the, the work was solid. But the first uh, match was four and a half. This four and a half. If well, we're going yeah, by the Belsa scale. I didn't think the yeah, first one was four and a half. I didn't think the first match was four and a half. Um, but I thought that. There, there, I don't really have anything necessarily bad to say about this match. I thought it was a really, it was a fun match. Um, but I'm not breaking my scale. So I thought that, I thought it was a really good match. Um, I, I think there were some lulls in there a little bit. And it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was just the, the pacing was a little strange. For Velveteen's, like, I could hear him calling some spots. Not too bad, but whatever. Um, he still needs some work, but he's good. Like, he's, he's good at what he does. Yeah. The character affords him that time. Yeah, and the crowd was white hot for this match, which always helps. Um, you know, I, in a way, I don't want this feud to end right now, but I feel like there's too much talent, so they're going to have to move on. Um, but I'd like to see them work together a little bit more. I'd like to see them work do some do some more because it's kind of weird seeing Ricochet wrestle a slower pace. And I'm not talking about like a high flying pace. It was like it was a slower pace, but it was it was kind of toning it down so Dream could keep up, if that makes sense. I think he was toning it down so he's not going to end up 205 Live Ricochet. I um, think he's probably still in some 205 Live. <laughs> well, reg- I mean, re- regardless if he does or not, I, I think he, it was calculated to say, I can, I'm can. i going to learn how to wrestle at the WWE heavyweight pace, and I'm not going to do the Osprey spots, the, the flippy shit, the a million counters, um, choreographed looking moves, all that, like, no, he said, I'm, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to wrestle a WWE-style match. And I think this is the ricochet we see from now on. We'll get, we'll get dope spots, but the pace, that frantic, just I don't think we see that. I don't know, man. I think, I think it was more about his, his opponent than it was wrestling at pace. But we'll see. We'll see how, how he continues moving forward. Um, I think it was a good feud to put him in. I mean, Dream is just so over right now. Like, the guy, is, he's nuclear. No, no matter what he does, people are going to cheer for it. So it'll be interesting to see how they pair Ricochet moving forward if they're going to move on from this dream feud. Yeah. Um, then we have Shayna Baszler versus Nikki Cross. Didn't like this match at all. I thought it was a showcase for Nikki Cross. It did nothing for the champion. I loved Nikki Cross in this match. Um, her moves, they let her do some actual wrestling moves. She can really wrestle when she doesn't have to just go frantic and you know jump on people and melee them. Uh, but I thought you know she sold well. The finish was all about... Nikki Cross and being able to take the sleeper and laugh and be so content with getting put to sleep. Like, she loved the chaos, loved the anarchy. And you couldn't tell me Shayna Baszler was the champion in this match. It, didn't, it made her 
look average and did nothing to boost her after this feud. I mean, again, this is another match where you saw it and you were like, oh, we know who's going to win. Um, I hated the finish. I hated the ending. I hated her smiling to get choked out. I, I love that. That was the best part. I hated it because she lost. It's like, well, what the hell's the point? Like, you still got choked out. But that's just me. I just, just Basil's work is still a work in progress. And uh, it makes it, it's like, holy shit. Okay, the dra- the NBA draft is on, and apparently Luka Doncic just got traded. Anyway. Um, oh, shit. All right. Yeah, to the Mavericks. But anyway. Uh, they just got just, a point guard. I guess yeah, he's 16, no. well, whatever. They're going to, you know, Dennis is going to move to two guard, whatever. Uh, but anyway, point being, Shayna Baszler still needs work. Nikki Cross is one of those people like uh, to help Shayna Baszler look good. And it just did her no favors on this night. And I just, I could care less about this match. The women's division is, is in a very strange place because Shayna sits at the top, but she's not the person. It's like Ronda Rousey being in a championship match. She's not ready for that top spot. It's just it shouldn't be hers yet. But now they've moved so many people out of NXT. It's like, well, where do you go from here? But you know, we'll see. I, I don't know where Shayna Baszler goes from here. I mean, I'd love this. I'm curious. I would not. I'm not gonna even say that I'd love to see it. But a Baszler Bianca Belair feud would be great. But I don't think either of them are ready for that type of attention yet. No, I think Bianca is even ahead of Shayna at this point. But she's had a lot of. They stashed her for a long time. Shayna was yeah, just I'm, rushed into the spotlight. The, the the thing about Bianca Belair is we, we haven't we've seen her work power. Like her wrestling style is power wrestling. What we haven't seen Bianca Belair or Shayna Baszler do is work underneath as like the underdog in the match. And I don't know, those two styles in the in the ring right now probably wouldn't work well together. They probably wouldn't mesh. Like I need to see Bianca Belair work underneath. And she did that a little bit on NXT this week, but not enough. Like I need to see more of that. And Baszler, you know, I don't like matches where, and it's kind of my, my issue with the Velveteen Dream Ricochet match. Um, I don't like you get your shit in, now it's my turn. Now it's your turn. Now it's my turn. The ebb and flow is kind of the same rhythm. And I'd like to see a little bit more, little bit more from Baszler. She's not showing me much. She's showing me that she's a bully, but I need to, show, I need to see her wrestle a different style of match that she hasn't done yet. Yeah, I mean, at this point, she barely lets anyone get offense in. So I don't even know if she can sell. Uh, We'll see. She has some time, but I mean, we her best match to me still was the May Young Classic, and she right. lost that one. So it, it'll yeah. be interesting um, to see how that goes. Then we had Alistair Black versus Lars Sullivan. I, I didn't mind. It was the Andre the Giant spot, right? It's like you you were right, but uh, I, I thought Lars Sullivan showed that he can work himself through a real match which is key. There was some give and take in this match that was really good. The only thing that bothered me was the botch at the end where Lars didn't know exactly where to stand and he you know, just got hit by the wind of a black mass kick and then randomly noticed he was wrong and toppled over. And then at least they didn't end on that. There was two more and you, you get, you know, you get uh, Aleister Black standing over him and getting that image. My problem now becomes... Alistair Black is becoming cheapened as a champion when he can't headline takeovers. And I understand the Gargano feud is hot and the Ciampa feud is hot and it's going to continue. Alistair Black needs to be standing with that belt at the end. So, it's weird because the NXT title has lost a lot of prestige. And 
Bobby Roode being champion um, didn't help. And I, I hate to say it, but it just didn't. It didn't help the title. The title yeah. didn't get elevated. Almas um, did a great job as champion. It was just too short. He yeah, he didn't have it long enough. So the prestige of being champion is just it. It just hasn't been there. And now that Black is the champ, and his first feud is with Lars Sullivan, it's like the match was okay. Like he's done better matches. Like Black has had better matches, and Lars. I get like I get it. I get the the Andre the Giant the Big Show spot. I, like I understand why they do it to establish a champion can overcome the odds. They they do it all the time. But in NXT, where like I keep continue to say they move things along pretty quickly because there's too much talent. You got to find a way to establish a champion without taking the title off of them because I feel like Black's title reign is not going to be that long. So him beating Lars means he should defend. With whoever he faces at SummerSlam, now there's it's a is it possible that could, they could be Black and Ciampa? Could Ciampa end up moving on from the Gargano feud? I don't think so, but I feel like well then do you put EC3 in that position? I feel like that's the way you should go. Yeah, I feel like EC3 should be that next guy. But the weird thing about EC3 is like you don't see him enough. Like he wasn't even on Takeover, which is weird to me. It's a problem of having too much talent. Yeah, he, he was in the crowd, him. but that was like it. Yeah, like he's in the crowd. Adam Cole didn't wrestle. It's weird. It's just it's weird that you have all this talent. Pete Dunne was wasn't an NXT takeover. Like, how do you how I don't know how you pull this off. So with Black facing Lars, like you look at him like I get what they're doing, but there's so many other people that Alistair Black could have wrestled and could have got a better match out of. Like I would have paid good money to see Alistair Black and Pete Dunne one on one for the title. I would love that, but we're probably never going to get it. So I, I I don't know where to go. This match was just very much like whatever. I like I knew who was gonna win, so I didn't care. I knew he was gonna hit the black match, and I figured he was gonna have to hit it twice. Whoop de doo. <laughs> I yeah, I thought it went how it should. Um, I'm just interested in see where Alistair goes next. And it's hard. You know what? I don't agree with the belt being like devalued. It was just in a five star match, like two months ago. Um, Ooh. It was Cien Almas versus Gargano. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is the, the title has played so much hot potato in the past couple of years. Like, we haven't had, like, an established champion where you feel like, dude, there's a possibility he's going to lose the title. Like, Black, you knew he was going to retain the title. So it's like, all right, can we get him in a big feud? In a real, like, his rivalry was put together in, like, two weeks. Yeah. Like, I get it. Like, I, I, I totally understand Ciampa and Gargano. And I, it's the best feud in, in WWE today. But Black deserves better. There should be a few that, that elevates him as the champion, and this wasn't it, in my opinion. No, he hasn't had that, that match deserving to headline. And he has a headline. So that, that's what's next. He has to close out the next pay-per-view. They have to give him the big entrance. Like, they have to make him feel special. No one had the big entr- entrance this time. It, it was, yeah. yeah, it needs to feel better for the champion. Um, and then last match, Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano. 36 minutes. This shit was just a fight. I knew it was going to be. It was fun. I like the ending. It seemed quick, but I liked Vicious Johnny, um, you know, and just becoming overcome with emotion and that leading to his demise. The feud goes on, and I can't wait to see what these two guys do in, you know, at SummerSlam weekend in New York, NXT, Brooklyn, what is this, four, three? Um, it's going to be exciting. I feel like there's only one way to go, and it's Hell in the Cell. 
Like now you have to put them these two in a cage. Like I feel like it's the, the only way left for them to go. And we'll talk about like I hate last man standing matches, so don't go there. But uh this particular feud, I loved I liked how this match ended. Um it was a little long. This was the first time I, I watched these two go and I was like, man, this is a really long fucking yeah. match. Like, no Iron long. Man match? You don't want Iron Man as to be like No, 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 I don't want an Iron Man match. I want something brutal. I want a hell in the cell. Okay. Well, I want like the visual of a cell, like it's built for a fuse like this. Um, but I, I, like, I felt the ending was perfect. I felt like Ciampa had to go over. I feel like Argano's got to screw Ciampa out of a title shot for them to, this feud to continue. Like we got a lot of time. Well, not a whole lot of time. We got enough time until takeover where Gargano can inject himself back in that feud by ruining Ciampa's chances to beat Alistair Black for the title somewhere in these next few tapings. So I think that's the way to go. I like this match. Um, it wasn't better than their unsanctioned match, which I thought was amazing. Um, and ultimately, I, I thought this was like an okay NXT. Like it wasn't, it wasn't even close to the top tier NXT. I thought it was the bottom half of NXT takeovers. Um, it delivered more than I thought it would. I don't think it was in the bottom half. It was, it was solid all the way through. Some other takeovers have had lulls and a bad match or two. This didn't have any bad matches. It was even. Uh, even the women's, the women's match was the worst match. Yeah, but it wasn't good. Like, like if you go go back historically through takeovers, yeah, there may be some decent matches, but there's always, like, a really good match. And we didn't have, like... I know that they say the tag match, but we knew it was going to win. Like, there, there wasn't a lot of moments in this particular takeover. There wasn't the DIY revival feud. There wasn't the, you know, Kevin Owens killing Sami Zayn. There wasn't... Uh, Finn Balor entrances and like it just it lacked something um, and maybe it lacked the storytelling I don't know whatever it was it just got, it just wasn't on my it wasn't one of the better NXT takeovers in my opinion yeah. it was still good still better than most WWE takeover uh, pay-per-views but for NXT I, it was cool it was all right yeah this even on paper it felt like the appetizer to SummerSlam so let's see how they build that um, real quick let's go into money in the bank was last weekend. Let's run down the card. Uh, we had Bludgeon Brothers uh, oh. defeated Gallows and Anderson twice over the past week for the tag titles. But I thought Gallows and Anderson actually looked good. They're the first team to stand up to the Bludgeon Brothers. It wasn't just you know a wash and a massacre. But uh, yeah, the Bludgeon Brothers are just going to hold the titles for for quite a while. I don't see any team stepping up to really challenge them yet. Yeah, who cares? Like this is a match that we knew the Bludgeon Brothers were going to win and. Gals and Ellison, yeah, they got a title set, but who cares when you lose on a pre-show in seven minutes? Oh, yeah, I think it was only match on a pre-show, too. They gave them no time. Yeah, because what happened to the Hardys and uh, the B-team? That's a good question. They just got completely taken off the card. So, uh, yeah, neither Hardy was on this card. And then we have Daniel Bryan versus Big Cass, former WWE talent Big Cass. Uh, he's been cut. Rumors are flying around why he was cut. But in the end, he joins Enzo Amore on the unemployment line and on his way to the Indies, it seems. House of Glory teased that another former WWE talent would be showing up August 7th. So we might get a reunion on Cass and Enzo in House of Glory. Uh, man, this match, though, 16 minutes, I, I didn't need it to be that long. Daniel Bryan was being the hell of a big Cass, and Cass taps again. So same old song. Yeah, and it just kind of real quick before we move on to the next match. It's just the thing about Daniel Bryan right now is it's kind of frustrating. To put him in this feud is I feel like they were doing it to get his wrestling legs back under him. But you know you don't have a lot of time with Daniel Bryan because he could get injured at any moment. Like it could happen again. So get his ass into the major feuds. 
Like, let's go. Like, I didn't need to see this match twice. Yeah, the Big E match this week during the week was great. Yeah, him taking that spear was something else. Scared the hell out of me. Yeah, (laughs) nuts. Um, So, yeah, that happened. Bobby Lashley defeated Sami Zayn, who, by all indications, is now injured. Probably injured before the match, which would explain the six minutes. Um, Only in this match, rotator cuff surgery again, it looks like. Probably out, like, another eight months like he was last time. So, we'll see. Um, might be back in time from Rumble, maybe Mania, who knows? Um, but Lashley, it did nothing for either guy, and Lashley got thrown into a new program with Roman Reigns. It seems like and he's one of five guys who can possibly take on Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. Don't care. Look, again, this was a feud that didn't, I didn't care about. I would um, like a Lashley Roman feud just straight up heading into SummerSlam. Here we go. Too much talent. There is a reason why, like, look at this. If you look at this card right now, you had two Money in the Bank matches, which means you had eight people, 16 people in two matches. And then you had the rest of the card. You still couldn't fit the Hardys on here. You still, like, CN wasn't on here. You still got guys like authors, you got taxis like authors of pain who are nowhere to be found. There's too much talent. And you're trying to shoehorn them all into a pay-per-view. And now they're co-branded pay-per-views. So you're trying to put them all together so, yeah, Roman versus Lassie, that'd be cool, but there's no room. So they got to throw him into another multi-man match. It's out of control what they're doing right now. Simply out of control. And Lassie has no momentum. So a Lassie-Reigns feud, if the match is anywhere near not good, the fans going to boo it out the building like they did with the goddamn Ginger Mahal match. That match was just horrible, though. Um, I wish we were going to get to that, but might as well talk about it. That was the worst match of the night. And your, mm. your top guy can't have the worst match of the night. It was. Like, the crowd wasn't into it. The crowd played a huge part in it. Part in it. But it was 16 yeah. minutes of just, oh, my God. It was cringing for 16 it minutes. Was, it was bad. Like, it was it was very bad. Like CM Punk all, chance, the wave, everything was bad. No, like, nobody cared. And, again, this is why I keep talking about this historically bad storytelling. Nobody cared. There's nothing to care about. Nothing. Nobody cared about this match. So they, yeah, they booted it out of the building. So yeah, we just went ahead with that crappy ass match. Ted Rollins defeating Elias um, for the IC title, and he dropped it to Dolph Ziggler the next night. Uh, I like this match for Elias. It was good. Like Elias is once again the character is allowing him to work through and become a better in ring performer. I thought this was really good. Yeah, no, I thought this was a really good match. I just didn't care about the feud. Um, and I feel and now that the feud is over, it's like all right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Seth Rollins, obviously, he was the one calling this match, uh, made Elias look really good, and Elias found ways to make himself look good. This was a really good match. I just wish I cared about it more. That's all. Yeah, and Ziggler, IC champion again. Um, as long as it ends with the breakup of that team, with Ziggler's team, like, then I'm fine. Because McIntyre has to turn on him uh, eventually. But, you know, for right now, I, I think they have a fun little pairing, so... Rock out, give Ziggler the belt. Uh, I see two of them beating up on Seth Rollins. Maybe this is the way you interject Dean Ambrose back because he's going to be returning from injury shortly. Jesus Christ, another name. you got to turn Dean heel. Somebody's got to turn heel. You're <laughs> getting ridiculous. Yeah, so, I mean, man, the, the talent keeps coming back. Um, no slowing down on that one. And then we have Alexa Bliss uh, winning Women's Money in the Bank. I thought that was a solid match uh, for what it was. 
Dog, I love this ladder. I love the women's money in the bank match. I thought the I, women killed it all night. It was a solid match. I wasn't overly hyped with Alexa winning the briefcase. But once again, we no. said it on the podcast for the past, what, two, three weeks. Ronda can't take a pin. Um, and she can't become champion yet. So it's going to be an immediate cash-in. Thought it was going to be yeah. Natalia, but all right, Alexa Bliss, whatever. Yeah, like, like I watched this match. I was smiling the entire match because the women worked hard. Like, all of the women worked really hard. Even Lana got her little moments in there. Lana I did really, have some moments. Naomi was killing it. She looked like a star in this match. Like, I love this match. The finish, I feel like the problem with the women's division, which is, is entirely is Ronda Rousey now. And it's not even her fault, but they're booking everything around Ronda Rousey. Both sides, damn near. Yeah, both sides. Like, truly, truly both sides are being booked around Ronda Rousey, and it hurt the finish of this match. Alexa winning was a bit of a surprise because we all thought Natty would win. But then, if you think about it, Alexa still has that story with uh, Nia, Nia Jax. Yeah. So, that, so it, wor- it works at the end of the day. But as far as this match was concerned, because I didn't know who was going to win, these women worked hard, and I enjoyed the hell. This is my favorite match of the night. I really enjoyed this match. It was really good. Um, it, I just, you know, the ending was the ending, but it was good. Everyone had their spots. Sasha Banks looked good in spots. Becky looked good. Her and Charlotte kind of teased their, like, oh, we're still friends, but we got to whoop each other's ass angle, which is cool. Um, yeah, so every, everyone had their shine. Ember Moon looked good at points. It wasn't bad at all. And then after that, we had the gender match, which was the bathroom break between women's matches. Then we had Carmella versus Asuka. Oh, God. This, which, is, this is my worst match of the night just because I hated how it was booked. Like, the booking stupid. Like, Asuka does not need to be the damsel in distress babyface. She doesn't have to be the underdog working her way through obstacles. And no, um, fucking Ellsworth could have came back. She should have whooped Ellsworth's ass and Carmella's ass and still took the title. That's how Asuka should be booked. That's how she was booked at NXT. She was unbeatable for a reason. She was a badass. You don't need to sympathize with her. It makes no sense. No, and I mean, they turned her into a pedestrian. She's just another woman on the roster now. Which is terrible because she came in undefeated. Like, all right, look, she lost to Charlotte at WrestleMania, which I didn't like, but fine. If she had to lose to anybody, fine. But Carmella? Are you kidding? Like, I can't even remember if I, I'm pretty sure Oscar murdered Carmella on NXT TV. Oh, I'm sure. She was one of the jobs. She did the job, so, I'm sure. So to, to go from, like, the, uh, there's all this talent. And there's people put in the wrong places. Like, Carmella shouldn't be champion. I know she gets a lot of heat because she sucks and blah, blah, blah. But to make Asuka look like a complete idiot. Yeah, all heat's not good heat. Like like James Ellsworth coming out and Asuka looked like a dog, like, tilting her head to the side. Like, this was dumb. This was terrible booking. It makes Asuka look bad. It makes everybody look bad because Carmella's still your champion. And she's your arguably the worst worker on the women's roster on SmackDown. If it wasn't for maybe, Lana, Lana she and definitely. Who knows? Maybe Lana could be getting better, but Carmella is trash. And God, how do, how do we get to the point where Enzo and Cass are gone and Carmella's a champ? How do we get here? I don't know. It, it's Vince is just clinging to that gimmick. Um, it didn't work for Cass. It didn't work for Enzo. Enzo was champion. And then he'd be guys like Neville and everything and damn near wreck 205 Live, which is having an amazing resurgence now. But it just makes sense to put the belt on your most talented person and say, run. And they don't do that for some reason. Uh, we got to – they're trying to drag this into a three-pay-per-view feud when it could have really been one. They've kept other shit to one pay-per-views. 
uh, that deserved longer longer feuds. This is the exact opposite. Um, then we had AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. 30 minutes. To me, the, it started off slow, but it picked up, it picked up, it picked up. And they finally hit that other gear that we wanted to hit in other matches. Like I said, I, I like the feud. I like the storytelling. The nut punches didn't bother me. I thought it was booked at the wrong time. Starting at Mania, ending it now was bad um, as far as timing. If you would have did this and ended this at Mania, just like it is now, I thought we would have had a really good match. And uh, I liked the ending. That Styles clash off of the steps was brutal. It was really good, I thought. Yeah, but the last two and a half minutes doesn't make up for 29 minutes of a of really... Like, the last man standing stipulation hurt this match. Because every time somebody went down... It was a near look. fall, though. I mean, those took the place of near fall pins. Yeah, but they're, they're so slow and long. Like, to, to, like, if somebody goes over the top rope and the ref starts counting, or somebody gets body slammed and the ref starts counting, it really ruins the momentum of the match. And this match, I again, this, it, the ending was the only thing good about this match. And it was, that was like two minutes. This match was 31 minutes long. It did not need to be this long for what it was. The stipulation didn't necessarily help. It didn't help the match at all. I didn't like it. I didn't like the stipulation. I liked the finish. I like Nakamura hitting the, uh, I won't call it the Bumbaye, um, <laughs> but, but hitting it off, running across three tables. They, they had their spots, but for this to be the culmination of the feud, yes, the timing was bad, but this feud just wasn't what it, what it could have been. I don't think they, this feud ever hit the right gear, and it, it sucks because, I mean, on top of that, Nakamura has been in, what is he at, four cracks in the title and lost every single one now? Yeah. So they're moving him to a. They're moving him to the mid card title. Yeah. Which is like with Jeff Hardy, and they're gonna put the belt on him sooner or later. And we get face paint Hardy, and they're gonna have good matches. Our other match was decent. Well, are they gonna have good matches? I think That's they're gonna be all right. Like I, I think they're gonna be okay. Like it's not gonna have the pressure of Nakamura Styles, and he's gonna hold the mid, you know, that mid card belt for a while as a heel. I, I don't. I don't know because, like, again, too much talent. Cien was the guy that we talked about to be Correct. U.S. champion. But, but so, that's because he's a foreign heel. That's, that's Vince's idea of a U.S. champion, a foreign heel. Instead of pulling the trigger on Cien right away, which I thought they should because he was red hot with his gimmick in NXT, he was okay to go straight into it and become that, that champion immediately, like Rusev did. Rusev didn't like wait around. He was undefeated, but he kind of went into that program. He became U.S. champ. He was ready, um, but I think they're gonna, you know, play that card with Nakamura for a while. I I don't know, man. I like I just really don't like any of the booking right now. Like the Nakamura Hardy feud for a title, I don't think I don't think is necessary because Nakamura just lost another title opportunity. So I don't think putting a mid the the U.S. title on him right now makes a lot of sense. Like I get why they're gonna try to do it to try to keep some shine on Nakamura. But then again, it kind of hurts Jeff Hardy, too, because then where does Jeff Hardy go? Like, if you look at SmackDown, SmackDown is loaded. They're loaded with talent. So it's like when, when I say how their match is going to be, and you, think, and you say, I think they're going to be all right, that's not good enough. They better like, be all right. <laughs> but that's, that's the problem. It's like you have all, like, between Samoa Joe, uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, AJ Styles, Nakamura, Jeff Hardy. Like, you go down the list of all yeah, these guys. Yeah, you got great guys. performers still. Like, how are you having okay matches? Like, it's a, like how do you do this? That gauntlet I, match was really good. <laughs> but they threw all was. those guys in, like, you know, Big E as a solo. Like, they threw all these talented guys in and said, wrestle. 
but they can't seem to do that at pay-per-views. No, they can't. They can't seem to get it right. So Jeff Hardy, Nakamura, yeah, that's a few to go with. I just feel like the timing is weird because I kind of don't like. I don't even feel like Jeff Hardy's had the title long enough to lose it. Like I feel like he just got it. He hasn't really done anything with it. He didn't, he wasn't even on this pay per view. It's crazy. And now it's like they're, they're bringing face paint Jeff Hardy, which means it's kind of like Willow from TNA or, um, you know, the other half of the Matt Hardy thing. It's like I don't want to see him drop the title like that, but. It seems like that's kind of where we're heading now. Like we got extreme rules coming up before SummerSlam. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's weird how they're booking all this stuff. But it, again, AJ Styles and Nakamura, it's just it, this this was not the food feud that I wanted. I wanted it to be so much better than it was, and it just didn't pan out that way. Yeah, that's so weird. Um, yeah, we'll see. We we have to see how SummerSlam develops. But the the booking here, you are right. It, it was very weird. Um, Ronda Rousey versus Nia Jax. Rousey has looked great the past two times we've seen her. She's getting it. Yeah, she's natural. She's natural in the ring. Like every, we were all worried about her. Yeah, she's naturally. I'm good. still worried about her on the mic. A little less after Monday though, because they they cut out the the smiling shit. Yeah, she was pissed. She was pissed, what? and she wrecked everyone. Tag team partner at Mania put the champion through a table. They book her like Strowman. Book her like Brock. That's what we need. Book her and let her scowl like she did in UFC, and they finally did it. And she bumped like a maniac for Nia Jax, which I love, too. Like, I was so happy that they got, you know, how many times? They got, like, 11 minutes out of this. I was so happy to see Ronda have to work. Mm -hmm. So my only problem is it was for the title. Like, I would love to see Ronda Rousey and Nia Jax not for the title. Like, I would then, then we could have played around with this more. Because I would love to see these two do it again. Like, Ronda is definitely a natural. Um, but she's still learning, which we, we can see. And it's fun to watch. I just, you know, I don't want to see her in the in immediate title picture or whatever. But I, I thought this match was great for what it was. I thought, I thought it was so, really, too. Really fun. Yeah. It was really fun. And then Alexa cashing in, which is what we all predicted somebody's going to ruin this match. Um, and then she gets the title back. And it's like, Alexa Bliss, a woman who never held the title in NXT, is like, what, four-time champion? Five-time champion? Five-time. So she she held, uh, man, what was the other one? She held the SmackDown once and I think Raw four times now. It's crazy. It's crazy. That yeah, how I believe she's equal with Charlotte at this point. It's crazy. It shouldn't be that way, but that's where we are. Yeah, that's bananas. And then we have uh, men's money in the bank ladder match. I mean, I, I didn't see Braun Strowman winning, so that was a surprise. But it makes sense. He's, he's the monster in the bank. And if you want someone to eventually beat Lesnar, then that's that's the way to go. So I didn't really like this match because of Braun Strowman. And let me explain this. To him being buried? No. It felt like everything was waiting for Braun Strowman. Like everything still circled around Braun Strowman. Like everybody else had their moments, but it was like, oh, shit, here comes Braun. Here goes Kevin Owens through a table. Or here, let's break the ladder. And here, let's... it's like everything was being set up around Braun. So it kind of, it kind of dulled the momentum of everybody else in this match. Mm-hmm. I didn't see Braun winning this thing either. Uh, him winning is cool if he ca- if he doesn't like cash in in the middle of somebody's match. If Braun calls his shot and is like Lesnar, I want you at SummerSlam and cashing in, that's cool. If it's any other way, I think it's lame. Yeah, I don't want him to run in and like be yeah, the chicken heel cash in. Yeah, it doesn't need to do that, which I don't think he will. Um, 
But, I mean, the match was fun. This is not one of the best Money in the Bank ladder matches. Uh, it was an okay Money in the Bank ladder match. And Strowman winning was cool. There were some cool spots. Uh, Finn Balor jumping off the ladder um, to hit the coup de grace. Um, Bobby Roos is kind of pointless and aimless right now. Yeah, like, he, he didn't really, no and stuff. the Miz really didn't do anything. No, like neither of them did. Uh, Miz had a, a great scared face when Braun Strowman ran through the ladder. <laughs> that was and, great. Yo, Samoa Joe's 40 time is off the charts. Yo, that man can run. Did you see? Um, I was like, yo, is he really? That's full sprint? Crazy. Yeah. Kind of surprised, not, but not really that Kofi was in the match instead of Big E, because Kofi's like, he's always in Money in the Bank. He, he's like taking Shelton Benjamin's spot from back in the day for great spots in Money in the Bank ladder matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was cool. It was, overall, it was cool. But and it's just Big like, E next, got his run the next night, so, or yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, he's got, he got his run the next night. It's just like, now, okay, now where's everybody go from here? Um, but overall, it was an okay pay-per-view. It wasn't bad. Um, it wasn't great. There was a lot of bullshit in between. But we got a, a really good women's match, uh, women's Money in the Bank ladder match. We got a, a, a better-than-expected Ronda Rousey-Nia Jax match. But a cool AJ Styles-Nakamura match. And the rest of And Daniel Bryan looked good. He's money. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it was good enough. Just get Roman Reigns out of here. Please hurt him. That's, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's probably going to be him against Strowman. I mean, him against Lesnar again. With Strowman with the cash in. Whatever. Yeah, it doesn't sound great, but I feel like that's where we're headed. Um, I mean, man, it's been a good show. It's been a long show again, randomly. But no, nah, it's always good you know, to sit down, talk about it. Thank you guys for listening to us. Make sure you guys follow us on all social media at The Corner Podcast. Or excuse me, at the corner LSN on all platforms. Me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. We're still trying to work on him changing that to old man Andreas Hale. We yeah, might get no. that, you know, 2019. You never know. We'll, we'll wait it out. We're patient people on this podcast. Thank you guys. Shout out to the Corner Club, always hitting us up. We have not kicked me off the show for liking Takashi69. I'll be here again next week. Thank you guys for listening. For now, we're out. Peace. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.